Hello, just a quick note before um, we get into the episode. This week's episode features references to suicide and substance abuse. And the second thing is just that we are still meeting some sound difficulties while we record remotely. So thank you for your patience and enjoy the episode. to the Conspiracy Theory Test. I'm Karen. And I'm Yvonne. And we welcome you on this Sunday full of hope, full of joy, and not full of Trump. Yes, our favourite associate of the pod, but he's not our friend, Donnie <laughs> King, uh, in Washington DC, he's feeling a bit lonely out on that ledge there by himself. And, I've got uh, him on ledge. <laughs> What a ledge he's on. What a ledge he's on. What a ledge he's on. Yeah, what a what an absolute that that week lasted about twelve years, man. <laughs> like everything and else think, this year, it was just drawn out to bits, wasn't it? Oh man, totally. Like who is counting in Nevada? I think they're still counting in Nevada. <laughs> yeah. Well, just the next counting range of slants now. <laughs> oh man, it's but it, it, come here. I think he's. I think Donnie is about to become the hottest conspiracy theorist <laughs> on, on planet Earth. <laughs> so uh, if you're looking for something to do, we will have you on as a guest. I <laughs> you're gonna have find yourself a plenty of time now, Donald. So you may as well. <laughs> oh yeah, that's it. And listen, thanks as always to everybody for tuning in. Uh, and listening and engaging with us it's it's always good to, to hear feedback and stuff like that we're engaging with with everything that we're doing at the moment it's, it's super fun and we do have some big things on the way don't we Yvonne? absolutely we i have to say um thanks so much for everyone who voted in our poll last week i can actually tell you now um that we had literally the maybe one or two off but almost the exact same number of votes as we have listeners. So that Ooh. engagement, fair play to you. You are getting involved. We'll give you way more things down the line to get involved in. And every vote counted. It was the biggest thing you could vote in last week, definitely. Definitely the, the biggest thing. Uh, <laughs> and it was counted super quick. Yes, yeah. Take notes, America. I think they should just do an Instagram poll for it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you set your username to like as a US citizen you can vote we'll all vote on this yeah we'll all vote on it yeah absolutely <laughs> like what are like he's going to put us out of a job whether he becomes a massive conspiracy theorist or not because what are we going to talk about now him and Rudy Giuliani are going to start their own podcast and I'm just so upset about it <laughs> <laughs> I definitely download a torrent of that because I would not give them the traffic they don't deserve the traffic <laughs> everyone stick with us stay away from them yeah your actual professional conspiracy theorists not those guys they clearly don't know what they're doing we on the other hand clearly do yeah leave it to the pros guys go back to whatever you were doing before can you even remember a time before him no it's all just been a hellish nightmare for a while now yeah i'm so hopeful about the future now we've got uh like the current our new acting president's not squeaky clean, but has a rescue dog. So that's a huge thing. The first rescue dog on the White House, I believe. 
I know. How are you doing, Major? Amazing. And also numbers going down in Ireland. Which is great. We're all doing our bit, which is really, really nice to see. So hopefully we'll, uh, hopefully Ivan and I can see each other face to face by the end of the year. That'd be, that'd be swell. <laughs> I think we will, because I think we're coming out of the apocalypse now. Slightly. Slightly. Waking up from that horrible fever dream that was 2000 and whatever, 16 till 18. No, well, 20. Twenty. Was two years behind there, Jesus. <laughs> I know, you're, you're just blocking out this year like the rest of us. It's just too emotionally draining. <laughs> yeah. But I do have something to distract you from the hellfire of this year, man. Can't wait. And that is a little conspiracy theory called Hunter S. Thompson knew too much. Oh, amazing. Oh, Hunter S. Thompson, it's going to be a very glam, anarchic kind of theory then. Oh, it is. And I'm going to need you to get your scuba suit. We're going to be diving. <laughs> Let's go. Here we go. Hunter Stockton Thompson was an American author and journalist and likely your favourite crazy uncle. Because every family has one. <laughs> if Daniel Day-Lewis is a method actor, I think it's fair to say Thompson was a method writer. His big break came in 1967 with the publication of Hell's Angels, which he wrote while spending a year with the real Hell's Angels, not the off-brand Hell's Angels that you get in Aldi. <laughs> Deluxe range. Hell's Angels. Deluxe. Hell's Angels. Hell's Angles, if you will. <laughs> yeah, your Penny's t-shirt from Hell's Angels. <laughs> Why spelled completely incorrectly, commas all over the place. Yeah. Okay, so he was the founder or creator or became synonymous with gonzo journalism. And that's a style of journalism and it's written without claims of objectivity and it often includes the reporter as part of the story via the first person narrative. Oh, it's great to get an actual definition of us. I suppose I could have looked one up, but I always just thought of it as kind of crazy off the wall journalism. I didn't think there was a definition. Yeah, it is kind of like that and kind of counterculture-esque as well, do you know? Hmm. So like that when he when he talks about fear, if you've ever read, read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, that's kind of like a, a snapshot of gonzo journalism working. Yeah, and it really blows your mind if you read it as a teenager. Exactly, which I didn't. I only read it a couple of years ago, but it still blew my mind. The thing about Hunter S. Thompson that we all know, or should be familiar with, is he's absolutely mad. He's completely cracked. Definitely. So de- detailed in E. Jean Carroll's biography, Hunter S. Sorry, Hunter, The Strange and Savage Life of Hunter S. Thompson, I am now going to gently take you by the hand, Devan and listeners, and I'm going to walk you through his insane daily routine. So a day in the life of Hunter S. Thompson looks like this. At 3 p.m., he gets up. At what three time? O- I know, right? At 3.05 p.m., he has a Shavas Regal with the morning papers and some Dunhills. <laughs> What's a Shavas Regal? Is that a cocktail? It's a type of wine, I'm pretty sure. And then the Dunhills <laughs> are the cigarettes. Yeah, unfiltered bad boys. You know it. And also, though, the morning papers are 3.05 in the <laughs> afternoon. That news is over at that point. He's reading expired newspapers at that point. Very true. At 3.45 p.m., cocaine. Of course, yeah. At 3.50, another glass of Shavas and a Dunhill. At 4.05 p.m., his first cup of coffee and a Dunhill. Why would you even need the coffee after that much cocaine? Oh, well, actually, after that first cup of coffee at 4.15, it's cocaine. It's more cocaine. 
He should have just switched to espresso. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to judge him. I'm not going to judge his genius creativity on this event. At 4.16pm, because it's breakfast time for him, orange juice and a Dunhill. <laughs> and then, at 4.30pm, cocaine. At 4.54pm, cocaine. At 5.05pm, cocaine. At 511 coffee and then some Dunhills. <laughs> Do you know, minus the... Um... Like, minus the cocaine and the wine, this is fairly similar to my own diet. I'm starting to feel a bit judged. <laughs> <laughs> minus the cocaine, man. <laughs> <laughs> Who has the time? I'm not a gonzo journalist. <laughs> That's true. Okay, and then at 5.30pm, more ice in the Shabbat. <laughs> See, he's watering it down now. It's time to wind down. Because it's mid-morning to him at this point, so what else is he going to do? At 4.45pm, cocaine, etc, etc. Etc, etc. At this point, do you have to just go, oh yeah, there's just a lot of cocaine. It's... Well, at 6pm, having realised this, he starts taking grass to take the edge off the day. Which oh, I feel like if you're, if you're taking that much cocaine, your day is just edge. Like, that is it. <laughs> 50% edge, 50% bag smoke. <laughs> Just like all edge, no rest. Has, has he done anything with that first three hours now? Or has he just read the papers and blew the nose He's off He's geared himself? himself up to start smoking grass to take the edge <laughs> off the day. God. So 7.05pm, he goes to Woody Creek Tavern for lunch. And there for lunch, he has Heineken, two margaritas, coleslaw, a taco salad, a double order of fried onion rings, carrot cake, ice cream, a bean fritter, Dunhills, another Heineken, cocaine, <laughs> and for the ride home, a snow cone. A sn- <laughs> but his <laughs> snow cone flavour of choice is Shavas. <laughs> okay, we could actually learn a little thing from him there. An iced cocktail, an iced wine cocktail, amazing. Good call, Hunter. So then at 9pm, he starts snorting cocaine seriously. Because up until this point, it's just been child's play. <laughs> We've only had the practice bump so far. <laughs> you, you want a real bump? I'll give you a real bump. <laughs> We're moving on to lines now. <laughs> well, then at 10pm, he drops some acid. Yeah, it seemed like it was going this way. What else are you going to do? At 11pm, he has some chartreuse, followed by cocaine and then grass. I presume chartreuse now is another type of wine. I think so. I'm not fancy, but I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm guessing it's not a wheatgrass shot. Like, Well, if anybody in the Irish Spirits podcast, if you're listening, can you confirm or deny or any of our wine drinking listeners? Would you please let us know? Oh yeah, Alex would totally know. Okay, Alex, get on this, please. At 11.30pm, cocaine, etc, etc. <laughs> and finally, Ivan, at 12am, i.e. midnight, Hunter S. Thompson is ready to write. He's ready to start his day. Oh, it only took him nine hours and Columbia's worth of cocaine. Great shit. <laughs> right. So then from 12.05 to 6am, he has chartreuse, cocaine, grass, shivas, or shivas, or shivas, whatever way you pronounce that, coffee, Heineken, clove cigarettes, a grapefruit, because that's healthy, yeah. <laughs> orange juice, gin, and continuous pornographic movies. Just on in the background while he writes? I, I guess so. I mean, any, uh, you know, 
any students could confirm maybe does this is this conducive to good writing who knows yeah write in students and tell us university how much porn you watch yeah university, university students oh god yeah we'd love to we'd love to hear at <laughs> six sorry. at 6 a.m the hot tub champagne dove bars fettuccine alfredo uh at 8 a.m it's Help me with the pronunciation here, Ivan. H-A-L-C-Y-O-N. Halcyon? H-A-L-C-Y-O-N. Halcyon? What is this? Is it a painkiller or something? I will tell you now. I think it it might be. It is... Yeah, hang on. Oh, he's peaceful at that time. That's what I mean. Halcyon. Oh, okay. It's just the state of mind. Which I'm kind of surprised that you'd be able to attain that after that day. And then at 8.20 a.m. he sleeps. Yeah, he'd want to. I don't know know how you could sleep. So if you want to lose some weight and potentially brain cells, have a go at his daily routine at home. Yeah, maybe, maybe throw in a skincare regime and a glass of water or two and you should be fine. I'm just saying this blows Mark Wahlberg's daily routine. Clean out the water. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually surprisingly one of the more relatable Hollywood regimes. Yeah, because nobody is believing that Mark Wahlberg gets up at like 4 a.m. to pray and then goes to play golf. Ridiculous. <laughs> I'm a hunter on that one. Absolutely. Okay, so that's just a, I, I just wanted to provide a little bit of a backdrop so you could maybe think about what his mental state was like on the daily. Just... So bear that in mind as we go through this little conspiracy. So as I said, his best known work is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and was published in 1971 and was actually serialized in Rolling Stone magazine. He was a politically minded character uh, and he had some ambitions. He ran, unfortunately, unsuccessfully for the sheriff of Pitkin Court, Colorado in 1972. He covered Richard. Yeah, he was he was kind of like anti-authoritarian, but he was super politically minded for sure. He also covered Richard Nixon's campaign trail in 1972, and he wrote a book about it called Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72. Yeah, I've heard of that. I would like to read that one. Now, he was not a fan of Nixon and believed that he represented that dark, venal, and incurably violent side of the American character. Which So he would not have been a fan of the past four years, I'm guessing. I think he might have been. He was such a nihilist that maybe he was. I I always presumed that his ideology was nihilism anyway. I'm sure lots of political scientists could correct me on that. But like, maybe just the whole burning it right down to the ground. Maybe he would have been a fan. Hmm, interesting. We'll see. Maybe the rest of my story will enlighten you further. So he did represent the counterculture in a lot of ways. And obviously, as I said, he's well known for his eccentric attitude and behavior. He also had a love of firearms and, as I've just described, narcotics. And he often remarked, I hate to advocate drugs, alcohol, violence or insanity to anyone, but they've always worked for me. (laughs) So the most interesting thing for me about Hunter S. Thompson is his death. And I'm here to tell you, Van, I think he might have died because he knew too much about 9-11. About 9-11, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. So let me set the scene. So his actual death occurred uh, on the uh, in February of 2005, okay? Now, allegedly, he d- died by suicide on his fortified compound called L Farm. He died by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. 
The police report states that they found Thompson with his typewriter in front of him with a page on which was typed the date and one word, counsellor. Counsellor, right. Mm-hmm. So the police went on to report to the media that they don't feel that his suicide was out of desperation, but rather he was sick of having so many chronic illnesses and chronic pains and things like that. See, I never heard anything about a chronic pain or anything. It would explain a loss if he was in constant pain. Yeah, kind of like Kurt Cobain and stuff. But his suicide note was written four days before his death. And he entitled it Football Season is Over. So he was a huge football fan. And for any of our non-American listeners, football season does officially end in February of each year with the Super Bowl. So, uh, And he was—he apparently reportedly always did get a little bit down in the dumps uh, around football season. Because, you know, it, it was his hobby. It was something he liked to do. So his note actually says it was entitled football season is over and it said no more games no more bombs no more walking no more fun no more swimming 67 that is 17 years past 50 17 more than i needed or wanted boring i am always bitchy no fun for anybody 67 you are getting greedy act your old age relax this won't hurt. So, it seems pretty legit up until this point, yeah? Yeah. However, ThompsonMurder.com, where I got a lot of this information, tells a different story. And the story that they claim is that Thompson was murdered because he knew too much about 9-11. So, Paul William Roberts was a reporter up in Canada and he was also like Thompson... I think he knew Thompson was a friend of him, but like Thompson, he questioned the official story of 9-11. And he actually alleges that Hunter S. Thompson called him a few days before he died. And this is what he says. And this is a direct quote. Hunter telephoned me on February 19th, the night before his death. He sounded scared. It wasn't always easy to understand what he said, particularly over the phone. He mumbled. Yet when there was something he really wanted you to understand, you did. He'd been working on a story about the World Trade Center attacks and had stumbled across what he felt was hard evidence showing the towers had been brought down, not by the airplanes that flew into them, but by explosive charges set off in their foundations. Now he thought somebody was out to stop him publishing it, and he alleges that Thompson says, they're going to make it look like suicide, he said. I know how these bastards think. Oh, Jesus. And this is just a few days before his death? This is literally the night before his death. Oh, he, God. Okay. That he, so, yeah. So, the suicide note was written four days beforehand. And then the suicide note, I don't think, was found right beside him either. So, this is the other point. And I don't know who actually is the founder of uh, ThompsonMurder.com. But they have gone to, like, great lengths to find, like, information and stuff. But, unfortunately, Ivan, a lot of the links that I've clicked on via this website cannot be found again another one like avril another one like avril it all always comes back to avril levine it does yeah her and jfk her and jfk (laughs) just the pillars on which this podcast stands so yeah so he claims like four days and then the website also claims that it's unusual that the, the suicide note was written a full four days before he actually uh did it 
and it and again the media when the media were reporting on this allegedly they kind of implied that the suicide note was found right beside him and it wasn't so again why if and his family was was visiting at the time as well so his uh his son daughter-in-law and his grandson were, were literally like in the next room when it happened oh jesus okay and, and then he was on the phone to his wife at the time so she didn't she said she didn't clock that whatever bang she heard she was like oh i just thought it was him like dropping the phone or hitting something and then they, they got the family in the other room were like oh we just saw he dropped a book on the ground or something you know or he threw I know, something a gunshot wouldn't sound like a dropped or thrown book right exactly so the thing about it is is there's and there's a few other websites that i found this from like he he did write an article kind of uh around like uh, close to the time or like the day before yeah so the day after sorry i think the day after the initial 9 11 uh, attacks he wrote for espn and he wrote this is going to be a very expensive war and victory is not guaranteed for anyone and certainly not for anyone as baffled as george w bush all he knows is that his father started the war a long time ago and that he the goofy child president has been chosen by fate and the global oil industry to finish it now. He will declare a national security emergency and clamp down hard on everybody, no matter where they live or why. If the guilty won't hold up their hands and confess, he and the generals will ferret them out by force. And that was, he wrote that like a day after the initial attack. So it was pretty kind of prophetic. Or maybe, I don't know whether it was accurate or was he being speculative, I don't know. But it was kind of prophetic, I feel. No, definitely. It's more than just a, like, a political prediction, really, isn't it? It's blow by blow, blow exactly what happened then in the yeah. early 2000s. Yeah, absolutely. So he, it, was a, it was a column that he'd written for ESPN. And then it also, for, he further goes on to say, Bush is really the evil one here. And it is more than just him. We are the Nazis in this game and I don't like it. I am embarrassed and I am pissed off. I mean to say something. I think a lot of people in this country agree with me. We'll see what happens to me if I get my head cut off next week. It is always unknown or bushy-haired strangers who commit suicide right afterwards with no witnesses, the writer said. Okay, God, that is eerie, isn't it? It really is eerie. And then, again, on thompsonmurder.com, they they allege, the the guy who, or whoever wrote it, says it has kind of, it does have a lot of the character characteristics, rather, of a staged suicide. There was no witnesses. There was no specific suicide note on the spot of the death. Um, again, telling his Canadian friends that he fears that he will be suicided because of the story he was working on. He did make a lot of enemies with ruthless, powerful people. You know, and um, he was, and it wasn't just like, like so there was a fairly bit of a drop, there was a bit of a drop off in his career in the 1970s and stuff like that. And he did become a little bit of, the, of a, a kooky, eccentric character who lived on this like fortified compound and just loved like firing weapons for the crack. But he was, at that time of his death, he was actually, it wasn't as if he had nothing going for him. He was in the middle of writing projects that he was super passionate about. Right, okay. Do you know what I mean? He like was in good financial shape, all that kind of stuff. And I get that he had chronic pain and stuff like that, but he didn't have any terminal illnesses, you know? So again, and he was super critical of like, as I said, Bush's reaction to the whole thing. And it was a scarily prophetic essay in relation to it that that he wrote. So the other thing as well was there, 
think the police report allege that um one of the sorry one of the officers investigating the scene deputy ron ryan he said there was a spent shell casing at the scene but there was no cartridge in the firing chamber as there should have been under normal circumstances so sheriff's officer de salvo confirmed this opinion i think a bullet from the magazine should have cycled into the chamber so this single bullet problem has led to speculation that thompson could have been coerced into self-inflicting a gunshot wound being having been given a gun with a single shot and maybe he was a com- maybe that he they made threats on his family okay jesus grim very grim very very grim so again it's just one of these things like if and again if he knew he was gonna commit suicide like why not leave the suicide note on his desk you know so run, run me through that again the suicide note was found a few days later uh, yeah it wasn't found beside him do you know what okay. i mean yeah, it wasn't found beside him. So it, I think it was, I think it might have been found on the day, but it wasn't released to the media until a, a few days after his death. But it it was dated four days before he actually committed suicide. Right, so possibly cooked up by Possibly others. cooked up, absolutely possibly cooked up by others, for sure. Do you know? Again, he, he yeah, he just really was totally against... Uh, the obviously the attacks in the Bush administration as well for it, you know. Yeah, critical a long time before a lot of other pundits became very critical. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so he was, as I said, scarily, scarily accurate in his predictions of this. Interesting. Yeah. And then when it happened, we're kind of two thousand and five. Like you've moved into Bush's second term at that point. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So again, and in relation to this 9-11 conspiracy theorists, according to openculture.com, they've made much of this response uh, and other Thompsonian an- analysis found that in the... Un- in- so he did do, go on to other... He did do a lot of interviews and stuff around this time. So he did an interview uh, on Australia's ABC National Radio. And um, he... So the host, Mick O'Regan, had asked Thompson, like, what did you think of the US media or how had it performed in the post 9-11 reality and Thompson is quoted as saying shamefully is a word that comes to mind American journalism I think has been cowed and intimidated by the massive flag sucking this patriotic orgy that the White House keeps whipping up you know if you criticize the president it's unpatriotic and there's something wrong with you you may be a terrorist and again he was asked then do you think that the 9-11 worked in favor of the Bush administration um, and then he, the edited version of the answer is, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I have spent enough time on the inside of, well, in the White House, and you know, campaigns, and I've known enough people who do these things, think this way, to know that the public version of the news or whatever event is never really what happened. And these people, I think, are willing to take that even further. So I don't assume that I know the truth of what went on that day. And yeah, just looking around and looking for who had the motive, who had the opportunity, who had the equipment, who had the will. Yeah. These people were looting the treasury and they knew the economy was going into a spiral downward. Wow, no punches pulled. Absolutely none at all pulled. None at all. So I don't know. Like, So this is the thing. He obviously wasn't a fan of the administration. He made that perfectly clear at the time. 
Um, and then he was working on a potentially big story. Now, obviously, we don't know. Like, this is just, uh, you're the Canadian journalist. This is just him saying, well, he definitely rang me the night before and said this. You know, so again, do we take that with a pinch of salt? Do we not take it with a pinch of salt? But the other thing that I found, like, as I was looking into this, like, if he didn't, like, shoot himself, like, who did? So how, do you know what I mean? How would, how would it have been impossible for him to, to you know, die otherwise? What are the alternative kind of... What are the other alternatives? Like, like, was he, like, my, like, if I'm to buy into this theory, which I am fully buying into, I would lean on the side of that he was coerced into doing it by somebody else. Okay, interesting that he still did it, because I was just going to go back to my old friends, CIA. Again, well, I always we, lean on them. We can never <laughs> lean on them when you're not strong, them. Yeah. The <laughs> well, they're always near enough to lean on anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so close, no matter how far. I'm getting all the song lyrics in here today. <laughs> For those of you who didn't know, that was Metallica. You're welcome. <laughs> If you don't know, educate yourself. God damn exactly. It. What have you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and co- like, okay, so if he had family in the building, probably not an intrusion. Yeah. Uh, p- probably possibly blackmail. Would it be? I maybe like blackmail seems makes it seem more plausible, you know. But then again. He was so, imagine the blackmail was, because I was about to say he, like, he just was so transparent with his, like, crazy, I suppose in some ways, deviant um, lifestyle. Just what could you possibly blackmail him with? But imagine he was actually just a really boring guy, and that's what they were blackmailing him with. They were like, listen, we know you like vanilla ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> We know you've never even taken a paracetamol in your life, <laughs> let alone all this cocaine and you've built a career office. We're... We know you're in bed by 10. <laughs> we know you moisturize daily. <laughs> Man, maybe, maybe. But it's just, to me, the, the whole idea that the fact that he pulled no punches in that interview that he gave and said, like, you know, I know I've been in, on the inside, which he has. He's, and he was this kind of writer that wants to immerse himself in these experiences. Like, like why not? Why write about the uh, why write about the hell's angels? Why not go and live with them first? Do you know what I mean? So I do believe that he he wanted to be seen as being congruent and, and genuine, you know? Um, yeah, he was definitely like he was more of an ethnographer. I know you call mm. him a gonzo journalist. Everyone does. But like that was his style. He went and lived with people almost like an anthropologist does yeah absolutely so i i think maybe yeah maybe he knew a little bit too much and he was just getting a little bit too close to the truth very but listen more it's interesting because more what sells it for me is his side like his criticisms were so visceral yeah and his uh alternative theory for 9-11 was so, um, I suppose, detailed. Yeah. Very possible he did know too much. And again, like, def- really important what you pointed out there earlier, that he has fear and loathing on the campaign trail and stuff. Everyone knows him for fear and loathing in Las Vegas. But he was a very credible political journalist. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I just think it does, to me, it just, it wouldn't surprise me if he you know, if he didn't commit suicide. Yeah, and as you say, kind of like 
doing fairly well at that point. Yeah, like that's it. He had his he had his compound set up. It was fortified. He had you know his his marriage was going pretty well. He had his his kids, his you know his grandkids. But then and then like that, he's working on stuff that he's really passionate about. So he could have been he could have been about to crack something open wide. I think so because that was the only hole for me was that he predicted or not predicted sorry he uh, theorized about 9-11 and then four years later it happened but obviously he was working on this big I suppose maybe if not an expose as close to an expose as you can guess yeah absolutely and just the fact that he like you know he knew exactly how Trump was going to play it you know and then I mean and he kind of doesn't say that or not Trump sorry Bush was going to play it so he knew like that this was he you know homeland security is about to get a whole lot tighter you know and this is their if if it's not a, an actual terrorist attack then this is their perfect excuse because they've been you know dipping into the treasury a little bit too much and we're all going to pay the ultimate price now for it you know yeah absolutely and not to put too not to stretch things too far but even the line like we are the nazis i mean i know he's not saying in that sense he's talking about the enemy on the wrong side of history he's not literally referring mm-hmm, to the mm-hmm. americans as nazis but if you look back to that time karen to what i remember anyway nazi was not a word being thrown around very serious no. allegation it wasn't used in a lot of um, political comparisons so it's almost a prophecy for what happened way further down if you look at now yeah in the last few years of trump's term this and is it. It's involved in the rhetoric, which is crazy. And this is this is the thing. And the when I was looking into the his like opinion or whatever on, on the post nine eleven, like he so he basically gave his prediction for the the world post nine eleven, and it was spot on. And this was like referenced in articles on like ladbible.com in twenty seventeen. So you know it's still ringing really true, years and years later. You know, so yeah. what do you think, Ivan? Do you think it's it's even plausible that he didn't kill himself i buy it i buy it because i didn't know how well his life was going mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i actually always put him down very unfairly um as a man who was quite unwell i suppose i dismissed him in that way instead of thinking of him as maybe just a recreational drug user more oh. than well let's not downplay the drug use by any stretch no no definitely not but uh, like by all means, functioning to an extent. Yes. I I think he was highly functioning. This is the other thing. I do think he was still highly functioning. I think he was at that stage where, like, where if he had to stop doing all that stuff, he would have dropped dead instantly. <laughs> like like Mr. Burns with all the germs coming through the door. <laughs> exactly. That exact thing. So I definitely think that that's like an absolute possibility, you know. Um, yeah. Like the thing that, yeah, now I obviously buy into it, but the thing that stumps me is, I, I do think it's coercion or something, you know? Must be coercion, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's coercion. Well, yeah, so someone could get in. Could they? I don't know. It was fortified, though, and he was mad, and he had a lot of weapons. Like, I I also do believe that he would have been one of those shoot-on-site guys. Yeah, but how good would it be? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, because you don't need good aim if you've got that many weapons. I mean, this is true. Uh, yeah, so there you go. It's... Uh, that's, that's Hunter S. Thompson, and I do believe that he might have just known a little bit too much. I'm going to buy us, and I'm going to say the only pity is that we didn't have his commentary on Trump's term. 
Absolutely, because I think it would have been cracking. It would have made for just great writing. Yeah, it really would have. Uh, yeah, he is one of those characters that you miss having about now- nowadays. Yeah, he was so ingrained in journalism. Yeah, it, re- it really was. Yeah, so that's, that's Hunter S. Thompson and how he knew too much. Brilliant story, Karen. Brilliant. Thanks. Glad you enjoyed it. Highly emotive. And very deep and um, very different from what I'm going to give you. (laughs) Actually could not be more different. (laughs) Yes, I like it. I like this duality. I like the duality. (laughs) I'm going to give you a little shallow dive to finish off from that. Um, And dive is certainly accurate in this instance. Because I'm going to cover something that... People, since it came back into the news recently, we've been asked by multiple people to cover this. So I'm giving it a shot. Can you guess? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to do Funky the Dolphin. Yes! <laughs> and the people of Kerry go wild. Yeah. I'm going to have a target on my head. This is a controversial one. <laughs> I'll give you my sources first. Yes. Um, hilarity all around for us. So the Irish Post. That's Wait, not, hey. Such Great. a weird one. Uh, Irishdolphins.com. Bet you didn't know that existed. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> but I'm immediately going to get onto that website. And book <laughs> it is not as fascinating as you would think. <laughs> um, the Irish Independent and the National Centre for Biotechnology Information. Wow. Just okay. That sounds big, but like I had to learn something about dolphins if I was going to do this. <laughs> Fair. Uh, so I'll give you a little bit of background to start with, right? Mm-hmm. So Fungi is a male bottlenose dolphin, and he was first spotted in Dingle Harbour in 1983, where he must have become separated from his pod. Now, this is where, okay, so... <laughs> I um, have been going around for years making claims about what happened here with, um, would you believe, no background in marine technology or marine biology whatsoever. Would you believe I am not a marine biologist? I wouldn't believe that at all, Ivan. You could have filmed me. (laughs) No, I'm just constant. I just have that look about me. So I have been saying that he was rejected from his pod. But uh, no reason to say that whatsoever. There's actually no real theories and certainly no scientifically backed theories on how he got separated from his pod. Huh. Okay. But uh, so some people claim that his mother might have died. But there's actually these pods are these pods. These pods are actually um, multi-generational. So yeah. much like okay. AirPods will be if this damn <laughs> virus doesn't leave. <laughs> you won't be able to leave after birth. You'll just stay. <laughs> we, so what would normally happen then is that so the grandmother is there for birth, which is quite adorable. Mm. Um, and then so normally if the mother dies, the grandmother takes over. Uh, okay. So they're not really rejected from the pod for that reason. Um, but sure, listen, we'll come back to that. Okay. So from 1983 onwards, he would play and interact with swimmers, divers, kayakers and surfer- surfers and has no records of ever showing aggression towards human. Pretty impress- impressive track record yeah. there. 
Absolutely. So we quickly became Dingle's main tourist attraction, with many boat tours being set up with the aim of catching a glimpse of the dolphin. And in 2019, his prestige grew as he was named the oldest solitary dolphin in the world. Go on, (laughs) Our main man. In 2020, though, the famous dolphin stopped being spotted and fears mounted that he may be dead, which I have been believing up until now. But uh, this prompted a multi-vessel search party for the dolphin. But there are lots of eyewitness accounts inverted commas, confirming that fungi has been seen and is still alive and well. But they're I becoming... Everything's fine. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> well, there's, there's sightings, but there's no pictures. Yeah, and pictures didn't happen. Exactly, yeah. 2020, like, mm-hmm. we need the pictures. But there's still, there's still no pictures of him. And he wasn't spotted by the multi-vessel search party. Right. So that's where we are at the moment in 2020, that he's supposedly still out there, not dead, everything's fine, but um, hasn't been spotted. I don't think he's been spotted by any of these boat tours in a while. But oh, do you know what that my theory, right? Mm-hmm. Remember I said in the first episode that, that that fungi that we all think we know is not the same fungi from 30 years ago. I believe, this is my wacko theory, that they've been just having loads of dolphins on rotation. Can they? Can dolphins live that long? Is my question. I guess. Well, Karen, mm. that's your theory and many other theorists, because it was summed up by one local right, who said, "I reckon there must have been about nine or ten fungi since the whole thing started." So exactly, you're not the only one. Plenty right. believe us. <clears throat> but there you lots, go. Lots of people believe. That he has died and been replaced multiple times throughout his career. Right. But that his natural death would cause financial ruin for the small village. Oh, absolutely. I would totally buy into that. So that's, yeah, that's where we're at, right? So Mm. one theory, this is my theory, right? And lots of people believe this. That kind of any dolphin that strays from his pod and into the bay is titled Funky. That's where I thought we were at. But another theory is that fungi originally came from a dolphin show. Like either, like, you know, Waterworld, those ones where they jump, where people in wetsuits jump I in with them. I fully thought you meant a sitcom about dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> like, just friends, but with dolphins. It's been a very long week. <laughs> sick of acting (laughs) (laughs) i am the star of this show and until i am treated as such i am out of here i'm moving to Kerry. that's it (laughs) can't do hollywood anymore they'll understand me out there (laughs) yeah that's small town life that is came from like you know water worlds those i've never been to any of these but you see yeah yeah on the yeah oh we have like the bray aquarium is that our equivalent no i think the bray aquarium is quite um kind like it's part of um, oh, what's it called? Preservation. Um, oh, like okay. the, there's no whales in there that'll put on a show for your aunt, and you just walk around and look at seahorses and stuff. They don't. They don't work for us. No, <laughs> we work for them definitely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but so the theory is that he either escaped right. Hmm. So I'd buy that. The other one's a little far out there. 
that he was brought into the bay by these really business savvy Dingle residents. <laughs> to me, that's a bit far. No, I believe that fully. <laughs> like in I the back of my think, fan. Yeah, I think they accidentally stole a dolphin one day and was like, sure, what will we do now? <laughs> well, you know, it's not completely beyond the realm of possibility because once these guys stole a penguin from Dublin Zoo. Do you I was about just that? about to mention this. I, I think I know somebody who who knows one of the perpetrators of that act because he kept going up to people in a pub that night being like, do you want to see a penguin? <laughs> and the penguin was just in your man's back. Oh, God. <laughs> Get that guy on here right now or at least next week. I'll try my best. <laughs> we can do voice altering on him and everything. He can be anonymous, but he has Absolutely. to get on here. Yeah. <laughs> Tell that story. <laughs> oh, the poor penguin. Yeah. So here's why we believe this, right? Mm. Listen to this. So there's countless memorabilia for sale in Dingle, right? Absolutely. Fungi's face in it. There are at least, at the last count, eight boat tours a day. And that's the big books. That's huge. A local pizza parlor named after him. And there are fanatics who set up a camp in the town all summer and watch out for. I don't know what they do. They must go and, and check them out every day. They dolphin and watch, yeah. Every day. I get, like It's the same dolphin, supposedly. Don't need to see him every day for three months. Some people like it, though, you know. Yeah, I know you're being very diplomatic here. Some people mm-hmm. do like us, but it just—I get quite bored. I could do a week of seeing the same dolphin every day. I'd say. Okay. Yeah. Fair. It's, a, <laughs> but that just proves that, like, their entire finances must be based, their entire economy must be based on this one dolphin. Yeah, but it's not the one dolphin. I just yeah, don't supposedly. believe it's the one dolphin. So here's some of my evidence that he's been okay. replaced. I would say several times over. Okay. So, first of all, there's no scientific explanation as to why Funky behaves the way he does. Right. So, not only do dolphins prefer the company of other dolphins, that one was the first jump for me. So, is that because, like, why would he just always be around humans? But also... They're very mobile and don't stay in the one place for too long. Ooh. So why is he staying in this one bay constant for decades, literal decades at this point? Yeah. And Patrick Cooley, Woolley, anyway, the spokesperson for the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group has even said he's a freak in many ways, which cruel if, <laughs> if it is the one dolphin. But so even these groups are finding it very hard to swallow. Yeah, I am a little bit as well. Yeah, so more evidence, right, is that Fungi's displays have remained energetic, like jumping into the air and interacting with boats and being very playful, right up until his recent disappearance, despite being at least 50 years old. Hmm. Like he wasn't a baby dolphin. No, he was he a man. He was a fully grown man. Yeah, <laughs> he was a giant, mature dolphin by he the time he could have rented a car, in. he could have got a mortgage. <laughs> He'd actually just come from voting. Like, he was a real dolphin by the time he got to Kerry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's at least 50. Right. Now, the next bit of proof that I'm going to give, right, mm. is my own little 
Uh, so you'll have to excuse if it's maybe scientifically inaccurate. If it is, marine biologists, please come on and prove me wrong, right? Hmm. So supposedly the thing that proves that it's the same dolphin is that it's a nick on his fin that has been visible this whole time. Okay. That's kind of how they seem to, from what I did read, it seems to be how they track dolphins and kind of marine life in general is by these little injuries on them. Right. But, so in 2014, there was another dolphin named Kless that briefly took up residence in the bay. Mm. Now, good old Kless was a bit more of a well-traveled dolphin. And he'd been spotted off of France and then West Cork. And overall, it traveled 100 kilometers before reaching Dingle. That's not shocking. I don't know how long he stayed. Not long. Right. I, just, I don't even know if the two interacted ever. I don't know what. I'd like to think they had a Mexican standoff. Yeah. <laughs> and fungi one. Like a proper this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Buddy. <laughs> You're muscling in on a serious gig here. (laughs) But here's the shocking thing, right? He was also being identified by an injury on his dorsal fin. (gasps) I know. So these are probably generally kind of intricate injuries that scientists can use to identify dolphins. But if a lay person is trying to use these identifiers, they're probably looking at a very common injury. Yes. So the next big question here is, why now? So I have two theories about this. Hit me with them. The first one is that bad weather was the reason that the last search was called off, right? Mm -hmm. So it may have been the first time that his death has coincided with bad weather, which means he would be much harder to discreetly replace. Oh, okay. My second theory, right, is that this may be the first time that he, that one of their many dolphin doppelgangers has died in the age of social media, which would make it much harder to conceal with the constant instant photo updates of the bay. Oh, those are both really good. So, Highly plausible. Yeah, maybe all the times before this was like 2010, 1990, much easier to co- to cover up, not as many instant photographs. Like before now, you could say, oh, I saw, yeah, yeah, I saw him off the bay just the other day. Like in mm-hmm. 1990, that would fly. That would give you plenty of time to replace him. Of course it would. But now we're going, well, where's the evidence? There hasn't been a photo of him in days. Oh, man. So there you go, Karen. I warned you, very shallow tonight. Excuse the pun. But I'm firm. <laughs> but that's what I'm going with. So Funky has been replaced multiple times. I Possibly... fully believe that. Full. I've oh, been saying amazing. this for years. I've been saying this for years. <laughs> yeah, it's not a hard one to argue. <laughs> Ever since I saw the episode of The Simpsons where Lisa replaced the snowball with Snowball 2. <laughs> that's probably where they got the idea in the first place. <laughs> yeah, definitely some some Simpsons fans down in Dingle for sure. <laughs> and that he's an absolute freak of nature. Like there's no actual scientific explanation as to why he's been sticking around. 
he obviously just liked the the life down in Kerry. I mean, I visited Dingle. It's a beautiful spot. It is a great spot. If I was a dolphin, I'd retire there. I do know, and I think, I think, I think they're they'll still they'll be okay. Dingle, Dingle Strong is what I'm saying. Dingle Abu is what I'm I'm wishing for the people to Dingle. Do you think they'll survive this? I don't like. I don't know. There's lots of lovely towns. Look, I think we should all just collectively turn our eyes or turn our cheeks the other way and let them get a new dolphin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is one of those lies that I'm willing to believe. We all need <laughs> it right now, guys. We just need the. We just need a fungi. I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm with you, Karen. I'll, uh, for the struggling economy, I'll I'll believe there's a fungi. But you and I will both know that there we'll is. Know. When we look at them. In the blowhole, we'll know. <laughs> don't look at him in the blowhole. Get no, don't look at him in the blowhole. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for believing me. And, Absolutely. Uh, end on an old silly note there with fungi. Yeah, it totally was. It's always it's always good to hear them. And uh, let us know what you guys think about my wacko Hunter S. Thompson theory and Avant's highly plausible and super believable fungi theory. We are the Conspiracy Theory Test on... Apple I, uh, Apple Podcasts on Spotify, Acaster, and we are the Conspiracy Theory Test on Instagram, and on Twitter we are slightly different, we are the Conspiracy Test, so follow us along, it might be easier to follow us along sooner than you think, wink, wink, yeah, something great coming down the line, along with our poll results, they'll be coming out this week, mm-hmm. so we'll let you know about them. And thanks again to everyone who voted. Absolutely. And thanks again for listening. In the meantime, stay safe, stay apart, keep washing your hands. Let's keep the good vibes going. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Ivan, thank you. I will see you next week. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone.